The views expressed on Geeks and Beats are those of the participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers. Happy Canada Day. Yes, happy Canada Day. How do you celebrate Canada Day? I'm going to fertilize the trees. Then I'm going to lie in the backyard with a glass of Mount Gay rum with Diet Coke. Fertilizing the trees sounds like something you do after the Mount Gay rum and Coke. No, no, no. you got to do that first because after the Mount Gay and Diet Coke, you don't do anything else. <laughs> From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, simulcast on shortwave radio and Citizens Band 14, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. Featuring musical guest Sting. Headphones, the good, the bad, and the augmented. We'll tell you why you also don't want the airline earbuds that the flight attendants want to sell you for three bucks. What kind of cans you can buy for over $5,000. And we'll even give away a sweet pair from Wicked Audio. Plus, a man who has implanted headphones into his ears will join us in the Geeks and Beats studio to talk about why he went under the knife and why he's one step closer to the singularity. This week on Ask Alan Anything, Big Audio Dynamite, and uh, the band member who wasn't. Happy Days, the musical, why the actor tapped to play Potsy is connected to a life-saving first aid procedure. And I try Google Glass. So jealous. Why you might want to think twice about buying headphones from a flight attendant. I flew to New York um, this weekend. Once again, they're going up and down the, the aisles with... Uh, cheap headphones and i think they're selling them for like three bucks and it's always kind of you know confused me how can they afford to do this and it turns out that uh well they're chinese earbuds they're cheap but apparently according to this news source out of australia it's very possible that many of those disposable headphones are actually made by badly treated chinese prisoners who were languishing in Guangdong province. Uh, The story claims that there were two former inmates who finally got out of prison in China, and they were forced to make headphones for uh, Qantas and British Airways and Emirates. Uh, They worked more than 70 hours a week. They were paid the equivalent of less than $1.50 per month. And uh, anyone who failed to make their production quotas of these cheap little earbuds were taken outside and tasered. That kind of explains why they can sell these things for three bucks, maybe, and uh, gives you you know a bit of a pause as to maybe you shouldn't be buying them. According to Gadling.com, and you say that this is an Australian outfit, is it? Uh, news.com.au is the uh, ah, I see. company that reported on it. There, That's an Australian company. Yeah, okay, so Gadling is the one who had blogged about it in the first place. It's actually the news.com.au, and apparently Qantas is now investigating this. Yes. I I like to investigate anyone who shows up on an airplane without their own set of headphones in the first place. How is it possible in the 21st century you don't have your own pair of earbuds? Well, unless you're like me and I left mine on the bed uh, where the dog was chewing on them as I was getting on the plane. So I didn't have any, but I had read this and I just couldn't bring myself to use them. So it was only a flight, an hour-long flight to New York, so I didn't bother listening to anything. But you may want to think twice about where those headphones come from. Meantime, you could go the opposite end of the spectrum and spend up to 5500 US dollars on a pair of cans. Yeah, what, what, what are you wearing right now? I'm wearing a pair of Sonys, actually. These are the same types of headphones that I used for most of my radio career. Yeah, I've had a pair of Sonys, um, the MDX versions. MDX? Hang on. Hang on, what they are, the MD, MDR versions. 
And I've had some iteration of these things 20 years because they're that good and they're that tough. But, you know, if you really want to get into serious headphone listening, there's a company called Grado, which does some really good headphones. But then there's these other ones that sell for, well, $5,500. They look pretty sweet. The, the anodized aluminum and all of the cast parts. But I don't know if you want to drop that kind of cash uh, on these sorts of headphones. You're certainly not going to drop this kind of cash on these sorts of headphones. It's the uh, Abyss AB1266s. Apparently, they sound great. If you can get them on your head for any length of time, they're one and a half pounds. Yeah, well, you know, that's that's heavy. Twice the weight of most full-sized headphones. Yeah, but I remember... You know, the old cost headphones I used to have that were, you know, four pounds. They were huge and awful. Uh, but they sounded, you know, decent. But here's here's the question. Are you going to spend $5,500 on a pair of headphones to listen to MP3s? I hope not. Yes. These are not the kinds of headphones that you use to listen to your iPhone when you're on the bus. This is for serious listening. You could, however, just implant headphones into your ear like Rich Lee has done. I read about this guy, and you found him? I found him. Rich Lee is what you would refer to as a grinder, someone who surgically enhances themselves uh, with technology. And what he's done is he's implanted a magnet in his ear that can actually be used as a speaker. And then there's a coil that he wears as a necklace that is used to transmit to it. Uh, and you can actually listen to some music on the thing. And how does it sound? Well, I don't know. Let's ask him. Rich, are you with us? I'm with you. Can you hear me? We can hear you. The question, of course, is can you hear us? I can hear you great. <laughs> are you listening to us with the headphones? The little earbud you've, you've installed in your ear? No, I'm not listening to, to you guys with it right now. I have to say that I'm, I'm impressed with this because I hate tangled cords. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I hate lost earbuds. And I was just telling Michael that I left my earbuds on the bed when I was going to New York the other day, packing for New York, and the dog ate them. So now I'm, I'm, I don't have anything to listen to. You don't have that problem, though. That's right. Not anymore. <laughs> They're on board. What's the audio quality like? Uh, the, the audio quali- quality is uh, pretty good. It's a lot better than I, I thought it would be. It's been compared to maybe like a, a, a really cheap set of earbuds. I'm noticing that there's some things that I can do to uh, change that. You know, change the quality. Is this bone conduction or, or what's the principle that at work here? No, it's not. You know, it's just kind of like the reverse of a normal speaker, I guess. Uh, usually a, a speaker and a magnet. Instead of uh, moving the coil, uh, this thing kind of moves the magnet. And that's what creates the waves that creates the sound that you're listening to in the first place. Right, right, right. So so the, the sound actually comes out of the magnets. So what possessed you to do this in the first place? I'm, I'm part of a uh, subculture that's really into the, uh, the cyborg thing, you know. We've been scheming for a long time on different uh, implants and things like that, you know, that we could add to ourselves. Are you an audiophile and that's why you chose to do this? Or is this just one of multiple modifications you plan to make? At what point does the singularity come into effect for Rich Lee? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Ho- hopefully that'll come into effect pretty soon. Uh, I'm, I wouldn't say that I'm an audiophile. Uh, in fact, when I started doing this, most of it's just a morbid curiosity, you know. I want to experience uh, and see if these, these things will work. I, I got this uh, magnet finger implant, and I, I don't know if you guys have seen those. And what does that allow you to do? A lot of people have been getting these lately, but pretty much you, you implant a, a magnet in your fingertip. And then when you go near like an alternating current or something like that, right, it, it causes the magnet in your finger to shake. Hmm. The nerves in your fingertip are really sensitive. It's a really nerve-rich area. 
so it grows around the magnet and it kind of creates like a, a texture or like a feeling of touch, you know what I mean? For, for like a magnetic feel. It's kind of like having like a sixth sense, if that makes any sense. Anyway, I got that and, and that was kind of my eye opener. You know, I thought, wow, you know, there, there's, there's like an, an invisible world out there that you can't really experience. You know, you don't, you don't see it, you don't feel it, but it exists. And so I thought, geez, you know, what, what about these other worlds and uh, how can I interact with those, you know, like like the uh, world of X-ray or, or, or ultrasound or, or, or whatever. And thought, you know, maybe audio is a good way to interface with that. Pick up a fuzz, you know, when you when you sense something hot or maybe, maybe just mess around with uh, senses like that. You know? Who did you get to to implant that in your ear? Uh, you know, you can't really go to doctors for things like this. They'll just kind of laugh at you or, or <laughs> ask a lot of questions and uh so, so I go to a, a body modification artist, uh, Steve Hayworth. He's very, very talented, and he gets it. Are there any side effects? For example, if you've got a moving magnet in a coil in your ear, can you can you feel it pulse? And and does it pick up stray radio waves from elsewhere? No, you know, not yet. A lot of people ask me about interference and things like that. But when I've got the coil hooked up to my MP3 player or or, or uh, <laughs> your your iPod or your phone or whatever. And you're just listening to something off your playlist, everything's fine. I can go under power lines, things like that, right? No problems. Uh, you know, if you're listening to radio, of course, you're, you're going to have the standard problems you would in, in, say, your car. You know, you go under power lines, you might get some interference, things like that. But other than that, no, I haven't experienced any, any kind of interference. I can imagine using this with your GPS navigation would be incredible. You'd just be walking down the street and you'd hear this little voice whisper to you, turn left. Right, right. No left. Right. <laughs> and you know, a lot of uh, blind people, they, they use like an audio interface for their computers. They could have audio cues, just tones or something to tell them wall to the right, wall to the left. Here's a step. Here's a step down. That kind of thing. That's interesting. They're like back hearing, huh? Yeah. In fact, w- one of the things that I'm going to be testing out is is kind of like an echolocation thing. I've got a, a vision problem. It's uh, according to doctors, I'm, I'm doomed to <laughs> go legally blind in, in both my eyes. I've, I've already got one that's that, that I'm legally blind in. I'm going to try that with with in the ultrasonic range. Uh, it's going to get converted back into like a tone that my my implants can pick up and and see if I can navigate around like that and uh, get get started that way. Good luck with this. I'm, I'm fascinated to see where you can take this going to be a a fun journey. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Wow, that's bold stuff. It's very bold stuff. I don't know that I'd be able to do it. Well, body modification is something that really kind of creeps me out. I'm just, it's not for me. I mean, you'll never see me with a tattoo. You'll never see me with anything like... No nipple ring? uh, Any kind of piercings. I I would never do anything. It's just not my thing. We're entering this whole cyborg wearable technology thing. So I went to New York to talk to the people at Vice Magazine. And it turns out that there was a guy in the office who had a pair of Google Glass. And I thought, okay, I'm going to hate this. Uh, it's creepy. It's weird. It's, it's going to be an invasion of privacy. Uh, but okay, let me, let, me, let, me, let me try them. So the kid came in and I, and I put on his Google Glass. And uh, there's a little time display that's kind of floating in front of one of your eyes. Now, time out. When you say floating in front of your eyes, is it really, does it feel like it's floating or does it feel like there's a glass block in the corner that has something written on it? It feels like there, you can see the glass block, but there's something floating in the glass block. It is up and to the right. So it's, it's out of your line of vision. You have to look up for it. It's not in front of you all the time. And if you want to activate it, you say, okay, glass, or you touch one of the bows 
of, of the glass. So when you're looking forward, you don't see it at all? It is it is not there at all until you look up into the right? It's peripherally there, okay. but it doesn't get in your way. You can wear it all the time, and it, it just d- doesn't bother you. Uh, you, see, you say, okay, glass, and it's, it's, uh, it, the, the display springs to life. And then you, um, you say, for example, who is Alan Cross? And weirdly, it goes out and it got my Wikipedia page. Oh, yeah. And there was my picture and my write-up. And I thought this was way too cool. Now, you can either use the Google Glass vocal cue to get it started, or you can just look up at an angle of 30 degrees and it senses that and it turns itself on. It's, it was really freaking cool. I, I, I got to say that, and, and I think I, I'm going to want a pair. Oh, really? You're going to be one of those guys? I know. This kid, who had just come back from Turkey, had been using Google Glass to document some of the unrest in the streets of Istanbul, and he was using the glass to record stuff. But then he ran into some problems um, because he was in Brazil, he got tear gassed in 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 um, in Turkey, and then when he went to Brazil, it rained, and a little bit of rain got on that little prism prism thing, and uh, one of the mirrors popped off, and that pretty much um, disabled the glass. So when he got back to New York, he went to Google and said, "Well, here's what happened," and uh, so they they used his experience to help make a more uh, robust construction for Google Glass because they know that people are going to be using it in the field for reporting when there may be tear gas and water in the air. Meantime, we've got to give away a pair of headphones ourselves. Yeah, what is this? Where did this come from? This is uh, courtesy of the Max Borges Agency and Wicked Audio. Uh, this is the Solus pair of headphones. A really slick-looking uh, pair here. Uh, DigitalTrends.com gave it 3.5 out of 5 stars. Excellent bass response, clean articulate treble, cool DJ-friendly features as well. They really look kind of cool. And there's uh, the headphone uh, adjustment on it as well. You can flip it around, again, for the DJ feature itself. But the audio performance is apparently quite good. Okay. Uh, some pretty good high-frequency response. Uh, the the bass, also solid as well. So we want to give a pair away. All right. How are we going to do that? Send us a picture of you wearing your crappy pair of headphones. Go to geeksandbeats.com slash contest. Uh, and all of the details are there. So you can tweet us uh, a photo of yourself. Uh, with the crappy headphones, listening to the Geeks and Beats podcast, and the most outrageous uh, photo is the one that wins. Yeah, and you know, if you have a pair of headphones that are really, really past their time, mm-hmm. uh, explain why, and and just you know, basically beg. Look, we need. I, I need a new set of headphones um, because mine suck, and and we'll make a random draw. Time now for Ask Alan Anything. Ask Alan Anything. Call area code 323-319-NERD now or visit geeksandbeats.com. You could even win some craptastic swag. I am going to engage executive privilege here on the show and insert myself into Ask Alan Anything. Yes. Now, I've had Big Audio Dynamite's equals MC squared going through my head for the past week. Here's how it went down. 
I just happened to stumble across it courtesy of Soundhound, which is a lot like Shazam. You know, I'm, I'm listening somewhere. I'm like, what that song? I've got to have that song. And the neat thing is, is that uh, you can just listen to it, scan it in, and then you get the instant link to the iTunes page to download it. Uh, and when this song first came out, I never knew what it was. I was never cool enough to know it was Big Audio Dynamite. I had no idea. And it was always one of those cases where I had never heard the back sell from the DJ. That was, that was, that was, to know what that song was. And I'd always catch it halfway through. So the other day, I finally, you know, 20 some odd years later, find myself actually listening to the track and I cannot get it out of my head. Now, I know the earworm solution is to do something like Sudoku that requires some mental math. But I'm asking you to tell me something about this in the hopes that I can then put this song to rest. Okay, 1985, Mick Jones of The Clash. It's his first post-Clash project. It was the first ever song to become a worldwide hit using sampling. You hear a bunch of voices in there, and I can't remember. I think it's from uh, oh, it was from a Mick Jagger movie from the 1970s. I want to say it was performance. Well, what do you know about Big Audio Dynamite that Wikipedia doesn't? Well, at one point, um, Big Audio Dynamite was... Who was... There was somebody I was speaking with recently who was briefly part of Big Audio Dynamite but left the band before they had a chance to record anything. Nick Hawkins, Gary Stonage, Chris Cavanaugh, Andre Shapps, Michael Zonka, Custance, Daryl Fulstow, Bob Wand, and Ranking Roger. Wasn't Ranking Roger, it was uh, Dave Wakeling. We talked about that, didn't we? On, on the big interview we had recently. When he was on the show, yes. That's right. So Dave Wakeling was part of that. I don't think that's in the See, it's not in the Wikipedia. They mention Ranking Roger, but they don't mention Dave Wakeling. And Dave Wakeling told, him, uh, told us himself. After being ousted from the Clash in 1983 and following a brief stint with the band General Public, Mick Jones formed a new band. Yes. It was actually called Top Risk Action Company. Yeah, he had a bunch of really weird names. That was the way things were going in 1985. You also had a question here about uh, Christopher Ward, the former VJ for Much Music. Yeah, that's part of our Geeks and Beats update. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, this is a GNB News Update. Is that a question for me, or is that just an overall update? That's a, an overall uh, suggested topic. Uh, where are they now? Brad from Oshawa had uh, called in to suggest that maybe Christopher Ward, Michael Anthony, all those types. Well, whatever happened to these people? Brad Owens calling from Oshawa, Ontario, sitting on the 401 and bumper-to-bumper Canada Day traffic, uh, trying to get back to Oshawa from Toronto. And remember those days, uh, not fun. I know Alan was a Westender, not an Eastender but uh, not fun all the same. Anyway, uh, just wanted to call and let you know I absolutely love your podcast. I miss you on uh, sort of the traditional radio um, and uh, had the pleasure of meeting you several times back at uh, back in the CFNY days and uh, um, just happy to hear your voice anytime. Um, and uh, being the audiophile that I am, I appreciate the fact that, uh, that you do what you do. Anyway, huge thanks. Um, show idea. Uh, what about a show uh, kind of letting us know whatever happened to sort of the, the media celebrities of the 80s and 90s? So I'm thinking like 
you know, Christopher Ward. Where the hell is Christopher Ward these days? Or Michael Anthony. Um, I think Denise Donlin's now at uh, uh, CBC or was. Um, you know, and even some of the CFNY types or other radio station types from those days. It sure would be interesting to hear you guys uh, chat about uh, about those uh, those people that have that are gone but not forgotten and probably still walking the earth. We just don't know where the hell they are. Just thinking of you and appreciate uh, what you're doing and keep it up. Take care, man. Bye. Well, I'll tell you right now what my uh, Christopher Ward is doing. He's written a book. It's a novel. Uh, the novel's called Dead Brilliant, and it talks about uh, a guy named Rock Molotov, who's an aging rock star that just recorded his greatest record and returns to the music scene to find that things are a little bit differently, uh, a little bit different than what he remembers them to be. And uh, the album really doesn't do well, and uh, Rock has a manager. He tries uh, a new strategy where he fakes his own death. So this is a, an interesting sort of satire humorous story with an insider view of the music industry uh, dead brilliant will be published in january so uh, that's what christopher ward is doing right now he has become a a, a novelist see i knew christopher ward as a, a vj on much music back in the early 80s yes and he also wrote uh, a number of songs that uh, made him a fair amount of money including some with um, alana miles he's actually written for hillary duff as well yeah you know he's made money as a songwriter he's done quite well and now he wants to be this novelist. Michael Anthony shows up every once in a while. I saw him uh, recently someplace. I don't think he's doing anything uh, in television or uh, in, in, in traditional re- media anymore. So what do you think of the idea of starting a whole new segment called Where Are They Now? It's good if we can find them. I really, I'm fascinated by the Where Are They Now stuff. And uh, if, if uh, yeah, I think we should do it. I think we should give it a shot. It may take a little bit of research on my part, but I think we can we can make it happen. We've got a Geeks and Beats uh, update. Uh, this episode is co-produced. Uh, so thank you to Robert Dymek of Halton Hills, Ontario, uh, which is a rural part of where I live. It's uh, west of Mississauga, north of Oakville. So he's somewhere in north of me. So you're virtually neighbors. You could be at the same grocery store at some point. It's possible. It's very possible. We got a uh, Geeks and Beats update on a question that you had thrown out to the listenership last week, which was tied to uh, the fact that Frank Sinatra's My Way is the number one song played at funerals, and then you suggested there might be some alternatives. Yeah, um, I see somebody wanted Freebird by Leonard Skinner. Yep. Uh, which, which is a bit long. <laughs> Hi, this is Lawrence calling from Edmonton. Now, I can't guarantee that this song is going to be played, but my girlfriend is a funeral director. I'm sure she could pull a few strings if she had to but uh it's a little bit of a cheesy sort of obvious pick in some cases in some ways but uh i would like to have amazing grace as played by the dropkick murphys seems perfect although i'll be like you know, if I die, if I die young, if I die old, I don't know, it might change, but I'm, you know, in my 30s, so I'm, I'm still young enough to be cool, but I'm feeling old. Maybe I'll embarrass people and go, this is some cool punk rock. But anyways, Dropkick Murphy's Amazing Grace. Uh, if I die, please play that. That's a good one. Dropkick Murphy's are a great Irish band from, from Boston, and uh, they know how to do a wake. 
So good call. Then I ran into Michael Palin at work the other day. You know, one of the Monty Python members. Yeah, I was watching uh, Brazil, his new travelogue last night. A different kind of Brazil than what uh, one of the other Monty Python members had done. Yes. Terry Jones. Yes. I went up to him and I said, you know, what do you think of always look on the bright side of life? And a couple of things hit me while we were talking was this wasn't the guy who was up on the cross singing Always Look on the Bright Side of Life. No, that was Eric Idle. Right. And that maybe he thinks that I think that was him. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And I fear I may have inadvertently insulted one of my all-time favorite members of Monty Python. Oh, Oh, sorry. So I was thinking that there's only one possible song that could possibly replace Frank Sinatra's My Way, and I'm sure you've got an idea, too. Well, I know it's very, very popular. I've heard it's uh, Always Look on the Bright Side, written by Eric Idle. I mean, at a funeral? I think it's a very good message, actually, because I think funerals very often tend to be rather glum, and actually the people who are still around should be having a good time, should be, you know, sort of laughing a bit more. I I hope that people who come to my funeral will laugh a lot, but I'm not going to give my royalties to Eric Idle. It's just not on, I'm afraid. (laughs) I'm going to... Lumberjack song, I think, is perfect for funerals. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, okay. And that's kind of a nice thing for Canadian Canada Day week. All right, that's fine. We'll we'll take that. Although, (laughs) I don't know if I went at a funeral. Ew. The undertone of, of, of the song, of course, is that he likes to, you know, put on women's clothing and hang around in bars. So you're probably saying something about yourself if this is the song that you want at the end of your life. Yeah, you're kind of, you know... You're outing yourself after you're dead. Not that you really care because you're not around. Speaking of which, have you seen the cover of the New Yorker magazine? Yes, the one with uh, Bert and Ernie. And uh, Ernie is sort of leaning against Bert as they watch television and learn that Doma is dead. Yes. I want you to go to uh, YouTube and look up a short live-action film called Bertram and Ernest. Uh-oh. Watch it while you can. It uh, it runs about seven or eight minutes. It is extremely dark, and I won't I I won't uh, spoil it for you. It's extremely dark, and if I'm the children's television workshop, I'm freaking out right now. The cut line for Ernest and Bertram is a tragic love story between two heterosexually challenged Muppets. Yes. <laughs> now, the Children's Television Workshop has vehemently denied that Bert and Ernie are gay. Yes. Uh, that they are just asexual, first of all. And second of all, they're only like five years old. Um, I, Did you know that? I, I No. That they're supposed to be children. Well, why are they living on their own then? Well, maybe it's not that they're living on their own. You just never see their parents, kind of like the Peanuts gang in the cartoon strips. Well, you no, know, there were parents that are involved. You hear about parents. You never see them. Yeah, all you hear is though. But you never hear about parents in Bert and Ernie. Have they have they run away from home? Are they are they they orphans? Or you know what's the deal? They're five years old. That's what they're supposed to be. That's what I read on the internet. And if it's on the internet, it must be true. Okay. Speaking of things on the internet, uh, we had uh, a bunch of Geeks and Beats uh, coffee mugs go out the door the other day, and uh, some of them ended up on Instagram. Oh, did they? Yes. Uh, We had uh, Andrew Stokely and his wife, Carrie, uh, showing off the travel mugs that they had received, and then Manny Tolan, uh, who was one of the big winners on a recent uh, contest we had, uh, we sent him the mug, and he has put it up literally on a pedestal in front of his Macintosh. (laughs) 
Okay, so maybe we are having some kind of an effect here. I like that. Spread the word. The gospel of Geeks and Beats. Good. Brought to my attention courtesy of the internet uh, and uh, a Geeks and Beats listener. Uh, we had uh, John Nye in uh, Scarborough, Ontario point out uh, this uh, Krios smartwatch with voice and gesture control. Okay, let's have a look at this thing. Oh, it's an Indiegogo project. Indiegogo seems to be sort of Kickstarter 2.0. Yeah, but... Yeah, it's it's a little bit more, it's bigger than Pledge Music. Yeah, okay. They wanted to raise $100,000 so that they can build this Dick Tracy-esque watch. They have quadrupled that goal. They're north of $400,000 right now with 39 days as of this recording left on the campaign. And the idea here is that much like those watches that you could uh, get for your Apple iPod uh, Ultra Mini Nano Jobby, yeah. uh, this one can actually be removed and you can wear it as a pendant. Uh, you can uh, clip it on to your golf uh, glove, that sort of thing. And it does all those sorts of gyroscopic-based monitoring things, but it also ties into your smartphone. Okay, so here's again another example, and this seems to be a theme running through this particular episode of wearable technology. So if you had one of these made it to a smartphone while you wore, wore your Google Glass and had your uh, implanted headphones... I mean, what's the difference between you and a Borg now? Well, that was my, my comment about the singularity. And Do you know what the singularity is? Yeah, this is uh, Ray Kurzweil's idea that we're going to eventually upload every all of our consciousness into a machine and live forever. Exactly. That, that we will start off by augmenting our physical bodies to help us live longer, but at some point we will be indistinguishable between man and machine. We'll become a new type of creature altogether. And this is the very early days of that exact idea. Uh, it comes full circle, though, back to the issue of style. Do you really want to wear this specific watch? It's got a vague 21st century version of the Casio calculator watch. Uh, but also, guys with dainty wrists like me aren't going to wear these watches unless they're really super thin. Well, unless they're thin, and then they have to have battery life that goes on forever because I'm not plugging in my watch every night. This one does. They say it lasts seven days without requiring a charge. Again, that's just something else. I mean, I had a Fitbit. I have a... Uh, an, you had a Fitbit. Uh, you don't use it anymore? I, I, I kind of lost it. <laughs> kind of lost it? Well, I mean, the Fitbit, you put it in your pocket and then maybe it ends up in the wash. Then I ended up with one of these uh, up fitness ring, uh, fitness bracelets, mm -hmm. and and it, it's 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 fine. But again, I have to plug it into my phone every once in a while, and I have to you know charge it every once in a while, and you know it's 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 cool. But I mean, I just don't have the dedication to this sort of stuff. Happy days, the musical. Rocking and rolling all week long. You know, there's been a Happy Days musical since 2007. I had no idea, but now it's going to the West End of London. And Gary Marshall, who was the creator of the original Happy Days, is involved. Henry Winkler is some kind of um, creative consultant for it. They picked a girl from a British band called the Sugar Babes to be Pinky Tuscadero, which is which was um, Fondacy's girlfriend. But all the other roles, including the coveted role of Potsy, have yet to be cast. Why is Potsy the most coveted role to you? You got an Anson Williams fetish? Because his name is Potsy. I mean, you know, who would want to have that on their resume? I'm, I'm looking up Potsy right now. That, that was Anson Williams, right? That was Anson Williams. And then uh, the other guy was, was Ralph Malf. Uh, Anson Williams, 63 years old. Same age, by the way, as Christopher Ward. Okay. Uh, his uh, actual name was not Anson Williams. You may be absolutely shocked to find out. It was actually Anson William Heimlich. Heimlich? His last name is Heimlich. <laughs> okay. His second cousin, 
is Dr. Henry Heimlich. No. Yes, as in the one who treats choking victims with the Heimlich maneuver. Ah, see... I love the internet. Thank you, internet, for bringing this to my attention. That's hilarious. Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook. And get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.